welcome to episode 30 of Slaytanic Vercast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, Slayer. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting from Martin Bashir's bank statement replication suite, it's Dr. Lee Quessence. How are you doing, Doc? Um, I'm all right. Um, I've encountered a bit of a crisis this week. No. Um, um, well, since the weather um, has sort of done what it can to to make me even more loquescent than usual, mm. um, I've I've spent a large portion of this week as a shapeless puddle. Oh, now you and Odo have uh, Odo from Deep Space Nine, of course. You're kind of kindred spirit. I know you're not the same race, but you are kindred spirits in a way, aren't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose the difference is that um, Odo yearns to master his shapelessness whereas um, for me um it's a mere inconvenience yes uh, yes that, that, that just happens during the uh the damper months mm. um yeah and i mean it's um we've spoken about this many times it, it, it's 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 an effort of supreme will to sort of pull yourself out of a figurative pool of your own misery which also happens to be a literal pool of your own body parts. Mm, mm. Um, How long does it take you to render yourself into into a liquescent form, Doc? When the weather's like this, if if, if my concentration drops for more than five or ten seconds, then the the, the, the puddle starts to form around my feet. Oh God! Um, the, the 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 bones um, start to drop out of my limbs. Oh. Um, and then obviously, once the rib cage begins to dissolve. It becomes increasingly difficult to use my lungs, and I have to force myself to grow gills. Yes, of course. Yes, how foolish of me to forget the gills. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, it can happen. Um, it can happen very, very quickly. Um, and uh, I mean, um, you've heard the phrase "pull yourself together." Mm. Um, well, it, it, it's 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 not merely a figure of speech. It's it's, it's material reality in my case. I, I, I do literally have to pull myself together. And the peculiar thing is. Um, so when you encounter people who used to be grotesquely overweight and are now kind of a healthy weight. I, 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 think, I think the medical profession prefers the word morbidly than grotesquely. It seems less judgmental somehow. Um, well, when you pass far beyond the stage of morbidity mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and, um, you know, when, when, when you begin to acquire the kind of shape that would likely make Jabba the Hutt say, Sunshine, you should get some exercise. Yeah, sort yourself out. Mm. There, there, was, there was a, a distant relative of mine long ago um, who, at the age of 65, she was 18 stone. Mm. Um, and um, that's the equivalent of me carrying my own body weight. At that time, that was the equivalent of me carrying my own body weight all the time. Mm -hmm. If I was able to do that, um, the thought occurred to me what actually spectacular physical shape I would be if, if I were capable of uh, I mean effectively I would be able to effortlessly pass Royal Marine selection mm -hmm. um, if, if not for the vile stench that's the problem doc in all of in all of these ruminations you know you, you, we have to bear in mind the fact that no normal human being can spend you know more than 10 or 15 minutes in your presence without without vomiting well, it would be a huge drawback to the, the art of concealment and surprise. It would, certainly would. Um, yes. I mean, as long as I could stay upwind of the enemy, I might be all right. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Um, but if the wind should happen to change direction, um, I, I, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't find it very easy to keep myself concealed. That's true. That is true. Um, what's, so, what, what, what's been going on in your world this week, Doc? Well, um, as you correctly um, sort of brought up, um, I'm here in, um, I almost made a mistake then. You, you, you made a DS9 reference a minute or two ago, um, and I almost found myself saying in Dr. Bashir's um, ah, oh, statement. Yes. Oh, how interesting, yeah. Yeah, the overlap. I know, I'm aware of the thing to which you are alluding, mm -hmm. um, because I have listened to a radio sure. in the last couple of days. Of course. Um, I never saw the original broadcast, um, because that whole particular episode of history nauseated me and I decided one thing since since we were all being urged to pay our respects whatever that might have meant um I thought the one thing I could do to pay my respects was to let the poor lady rest in peace um and not join in the ghoulish orgy of corpse picking and necrophilia that went on immediately afterwards yes and and, and that my good doctor is why me and you have become lifelong friends, you know. I mean, not that specific incident, but that that mentality, basically. Yes, because yeah. it, because it was truly, truly ghastly. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Should we move on to a different subject? Because I, I, I feel yes. I, I feel litigation otherwise. If 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 we get too, <laughs> if we get too if we get too specific, um, I'm going to give you a video game update, Doc, which you know I like to do from time to time. Um, yeah. I'm playing a game at the moment called Control. This is maybe two years old by, by a developer called Remedy, who are excellent and a little bit bonkers. Um, this is ostensibly a first-person shooter, but with a difference, man. It is insane, twisted, epic, and just plain weird. Let me tell you, Doc, if all games were this good, no one would do anything else. Let me give you the Wikipedia <laughs> entry. Uh, just to give you a, like a, a bit of a grounding. Control. This is from Wikipedia. That, that, that's the citation. Control revolves around the titular Federal Bureau of Control, a clandestine US government agency which investigates supernatural altered world events. These AWEs or ORs are affected by the human collective unconscious and have a variety of paranatural effects, including the creation of objects of power, archetypal items which grant special abilities to their wielders. Objects of power are connected to the board, a black pyramid-shaped entity which exists within the astral plane, an alternate dimension. The individual chosen by the board to wield the service weapon, which is itself an object of power, is considered by default to be the director of the F. B C. Holy shit, Doc! If that doesn't, if that doesn't sound awesome, I don't know what does. Um, it sounds in a good way, um, like the fascinating and kind of adorable loopy pseudo religions that people used to make up as the, not particularly the backstory, but the the setting or the um, the mise en scène for their science fiction stories in the mid 1990s oh yes yes um, <clears throat> um no it, it's 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 something that it, it kind of seems dated in the year 2021 but um in a good way and it's amazing 
to me that something from the such recent past mm. can have such a feeling of nostalgia about it. I, um, you, you are very, very astute, Doc, as usual, um, because the aesthetic of the game, I would say, you know, it's taking place somewhere between the, the late 1970s and the mid-1990s. Um, it's not clear precisely when this is happening. Um, the only clues we really get is like the brutalistic architectural design of the building that you're in. Um, this building, which which retransfigures constantly as you're moving around, it, which is utterly baffling, uh, but but in a really really good way. But then also like the use of fonts. Um, so as you enter a new area, let's say you walk into some, an area called the control room, for example, in massive font. Very, very Tarantino-esque. It will just come up on screen, control room, in the most bare-bones bare font imaginable. It's abs I think you'd absolutely love it, Doc, if, if, if you had a means to play it. I really, really do. It's probably the kind of thing I'd greatly enjoy watching somebody else play, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah. I'd, uh, a reason why you might really like it, though, to play yourself, is because there are things called modifiers in the game which means you can go into the menu and you can set the game to be as easy or difficult as you want it to be to the extent that you can make yourself immortal and you can give yourself unlimited bullets um, and one-shot kills and things like this, you know. So you can <coughs> literally render it a walk-around simulator. Um, we've discussed this before, and the very big, the sort of, the, the, the insurmountable barrier um, to me enjoying video games at all um, is what the hell you do. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I, I don't know whether I'm sort of, I, I was sort of born without the part of my brain that makes me able to understand that. Mm. But I, I've, I, I literally have no idea what you're supposed to do. Um, a lot of video games are immensely fun to watch other people play. Yeah, you, you had a problem with Bioshock, didn't you? You know, because didn't somebody recommend that you you to play it because of the politics of the game, which I totally understand. You know, because it is it is pretty out there politically, um, but but you just didn't understand the, the you know where to go, did you? Basically, well, I I, I wasn't able to do anything. Yeah, um, I I floated around in the water for forty five minutes, <laughs> um, and yes. I, I I did I, I did the same thing each evening for about a week. Oh God, yeah, um, before. Uh, and uh, that was it. Yeah, that's that. That was that was my last experience of attempting to play video games. Yeah, and of course, you know, you really the start of Bioshock. You should you should be in that water for three minutes maximum at the start of the game, and 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 then you you're into the environment basically. Um, no chow time today, folks. Sorry about that. Me and the doc, we're just too damn precise sometimes. So we've, we've stopped making. Apparently, we've stopped making mistakes. What do you reckon about that, doc? <laughs> <laughs> um, Today's topic, <coughs> you ready for this? Yes. <coughs> the sexiest metal band. I'll let you interpret that word however you wish. Um, <coughs> this is a really interesting question. Um, there are absolutely no metal bands um, that I would ever want to have sexual intercourse with. Mm. <laughs> um so I suppose, um, are there any metal bands or any members of any metal bands? I suppose what, what we're coming down to is that, that, that sort of almost indefinable aura, uh, air of, 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 of rock star charisma. Mm. Um, 
the kind of people who, without necessarily being attractive or without nominally dressing well or anything like that, they have this indefinable quality that makes you wish you were like them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, well, I mean, so let's let's go through let's let's go through a few examples. Um, you've got to start with Iron Maiden, haven't you? Um, well, you, you? You've got to start with a bunch of people, um, or at least the two front men, who can just project personal charisma as to wield absolute control over several thousand people. I mean, Bruce is quite a sexy guy, isn't he? He's not a bad-looking fella, surely? Um, no, he's not, but by looks alone, um, he's got something more than that. Of course. Um, and I, I, I think when we're talking about sexy people in general, um, in this day and age when what you can accomplish with exercise is pretty well understood, what you can accomplish with diet is pretty well understood, what can be accomplished with cosmetic surgery is pretty well understood. Um, what it is that makes a person sexy, um, what it is that makes them sexually potent or sexually attractive um, is one of the qualities that hasn't changed. And uh, I, I can't even come close to identifying what it is. Mm. There are just certain people and they, they give off a vibe of you, you want to be close to them, you want to be inhaling their pheromones. Well, you're right. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, yes. Do you have a type, Doc? You know, because I definitely do. I have a type. Um, so in terms of like normal human beings um, who um, I would, circumstances being other than they are, go to bed with, mm. um, <clears throat> I have several types. Mm. Um, and um, I don't particularly feel inclined to bore the listeners to death with them at the moment. But That's okay. You um, don't need to share the, the, like, the specifics. I'm, I'm not... Um, I, I mean, I I function on the same fairly basic animalistic levels that that, that most mammals do. Mm. Um, I have types. I have things that I find attractive. Um, but it's interesting that the people I find myself um, overcome with desire for, um, it's interesting how very very rarely they fit into. They, they they fit the baseline description of what I would call my type. Sure, thank you. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, so, I still haven't answered your question properly. The sexiest metal band. Mm. Um, there are some really, really odd ones. Um, if we're sticking to this definition of by sexy people, you you, you somehow want to be close to it if only just to absorb some of their allure or, 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 or sniff some of, their, sniff some of their, their sweat or something like that. <laughs> you go next, and I'm going to ponder this for a minute. Yeah, have a think. I've got a straight answer. For me, there's no question. It's Anthrax. Anthrax are the sexiest metal band by far. Scott Ian is a delightful kind of bald, goatee-bearing hunk of a man who kind of bounces around with a guitar like no other he's, he's he's absolutely charming dan spitz you know i'm talking not the classic anthrax lineup here dan spitz so, so tiny i think he's about five foot one he, he absolutely yeah. absolutely what a cutie this tiny little long-haired absolute oh so cute you can he might as well be a button. He's absolutely lovely. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 
The drummer, Charlie, I never know how to pronounce his surname, Charlie Benante or Benante, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Charlie Benante, I'm going to say, you know, muscular, you know, but lovely, really well, lovely, well-kept hair, you know, looks like he makes an effort. Um, but, the, but you know, then we do have like the drag factor of Joey Belladonna, who, let's be honest, looks like a fucking corpse, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a corpse that's been buried for five years, and that explains the hair growth. Um, but you, so, so Joey's not, not so much it, but the other three, good Lord, smoking, Doc. So for me, it's anthrax. Classic era anthrax, no question. Um, so I'm going to skip lightly over the examples that are kind of almost too obvious to mention. Um, your morbid angel, mm-hmm. um, who exude the closest I think one can actually say to death metal glamour. Um, oh yes, they look good. They do, um, and um, they look good individually, and they all look good together as well. Uh, uh, David mm-hmm. Vincent sports like a bare-chested leather waistcoat, like no other man that I've ever seen. Yeah. Absolutely um, delightful. I suppose we've got to mention Slayer sooner or later. I suppose we? so, yes, yeah. I mean, you know, if you had to, Doc, if you had to, which one of Slayer are you going to pick? Um, have to be Jeff. You're going to go for Jeff? Yeah, I mean, Jeff, Jeff's Jeff. a strong contender, yeah. What, what, what's your rationale? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm afraid, for me at least, it's not Kerry. No. Um, it's not Kerry. Um Tom is, uh, uh, I can never quite get past the idea that he's got too much hair on his back. (laughs) (laughs) You think he's a hairy beast? He looks like the kind of man who has lots of hair on his back. (laughs) It's a very funny observation. Okay, yeah. Um, And to round off my pick... um, if we're going down down this this this, this route of, of 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 it just being some sort of allure, there's something I find utterly beguiling about the crop of extreme black metal band, primitive black metal bands from the early '90s. Yes, yes, you, you do have a deep fascination with those guys, don't you? I do have a fascination with them, um, yeah. and I I'm fully aware that many of them are not the most wholesome personalities. Um, sure, I'm fully aware of. Um, all of the many, many things that are wrong with them, uh, the propensity to murder each other. Yes, yes. Um, not even being the worst. Um, but, 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 you know, gals like us, tend, we, we like a bad boy, don't we, from time to time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so, so, um, the kind of guy who uh, like has a motorbike and smells of oil a bit or, right. like, drives, or drives too fast or mm. maybe stabs one of his friends 32 <laughs> times in the head. Yeah, and worst uh, of all, smokes Benton and engine and hedges. That's right. Yeah. Um, which is more bad boy, Benson and Hedges or Embassy? Well, I think I think to be like a true bad boy is gonna smoke Marlborough, aren't they? I, I, I don't imagine like James Dean smoking anything other than Marlborough, surely. Uh, a, bit, a bit dated though. Uh, uh. Uh, Marlborough's a bit mainstream nowadays. I mean, when Think back to when. Think back to when you were like thirteen or fourteen, mm. um, and used to try and buy cigarettes from the disreputable corner shop. Mm. Oh, it'd, um, it'd be embassy because that's what my dad smoked, so that, that, that's what I'd go for. 
Um, in my case, it was embassy. Um, yeah. They were little and short and, 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 and that much more concealable. You're talking about embassy filter, aren't you? I always liked those, actually. They, 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 yeah. they had a certain charm, didn't they, the embassy filters? Yeah. Yeah, right. small, and, and the, just because of being that that, that, little, that little bit shorter, they're just much more concealable. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think that was a deliberate design choice, Doc, to, to, to be able to put it in school school children's pockets? Is no, that what you're suggesting? No, no, I think it was a hangover from um, when all cigarettes, before cigarettes came with filters on them. Mm. Um, so it's basically the length of a normal king size, but without the filter on it. Sure, yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, and mm-hmm. em- embassy with a embassy filter with a very last holdout of when cigarettes were that long. Yes, um, being in France, uh, you will have noticed that um, Galois at least are the same length. Mm-hmm. That's true. Even now, mm-hmm. you're um, right. I possess a couple of antique silver cigarette cases, um, which I've acquired as, as, as interesting object art over the years. And they're very obviously um, made, the, the, the width um, is the exact correct width to accommodate embassy filter in got length. You. Got you, yeah, got you. Yeah, so it's an, it's an aesthetic thing, really. Um, it's it's just a bit of a hangover, and a, yeah. like a, a, a bit of a holdover from ages past. Um, and I, I, I presume because there was uh, there was still a market for, uh, for people who like things being done the old ways. Um, it's like many other things. Cigarettes that are now sold as king size are actually just about the shortest ones you can buy. That's right. Yeah, the, the, that's effectively standard size, isn't it now? Yeah. Really, I think. because The, the longer ones are called super kings and the short ones don't exist, I don't think. Um, it's been a long time since I saw Embassy Filter. Yeah. Short Embassy Filter. I think you're right. I think you're right, Doc. Have you given me an answer yet or what? Um, well, that's that's the best I can do, and I'm, I'm sorry. It's yeah, not a very that's all right. That's all right. Uh, I think we had fun along the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we get into it, Doc? What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, uh, just before we leave this topic, um, Yizan um, and Fenris, oh, somehow, yes. someone out there loves you. <laughs> oh, what a, what, a, what a lovely message. Um, <laughs> don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slightanicvercast at gmail.com. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Here we play the track, pause it from time to time, discuss what we're listening to, and generally just have some fun. Let's go. Fantastic start, Doc. What do we think about this? Well, this is an exemplar of my favourite kind of Slayer. Yeah. Um, I am, of course, happy uh, with the fact that in the fairly near future, we've got at least one and possibly almost two whole entire albums of this kind of Slayer Sure. coming down the pike. Um, uh-huh. As much as I like Slayer when they're blisteringly fast and scorchingly intense, I like them best of all when they're mid-paced and morbid and <laughs> when they've got pick squeals. Sure. Yeah. Best yeah. of all, when they wiggle out, when they wiggle the tremolo arm 
mm-hmm. um, which I am henceforth going to refer to as the wiggle arm. Um, when they operate the wiggle arm in the middle of a pick squeal. Yes, yes, yes. You know, given what what we've listened to so far on this album, it's it's a clear change of pace. I know know it was led into from the end of the last song, but we've got to treat this this as a distinct song in its own right. This is a clear change of pace, a total change of mood and vibe. And for my money, it's the best thing we've heard so far. This album's turning out to be, considering it's an album I know so well, um, it's turning out to be, um, and the only experience I can like, or the best experience I can liken it to, um, is Sam Peckinpah films, mm-hmm. which is that um, they're the things you've lived with for a long time, and you have this idea in your head that they're terribly intense, um, quite difficult, the are things you put yourself through as opposed to things you actually enjoy. And then, like, when you actually get round to watching The Wild Bunch or The Ballad of Cable Hobo or something, um, they're actually far more fun than you yeah. remember them being. Mm-hmm. Um, and this album is turning out exactly like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> listen to from beginning to end, um, and you you sort of, like, you screw up your face and you dig your fingernails into the palms of your hands and you go, come on, I'm going to listen to Rain in Blood from beginning to end. Um, and listening to the tracks one at a time, um, beginning with the last, that I didn't remember there being a track as, and I mean this in a, as positive a way as I can, I never remember there being a track as goofy as the one from last week. Okay. On yeah. this album. Sure. Um, I never remember there being a, tra- a, a track that was so much rambunctious good fun. Yeah. Um, and um, I, taken in isolation, um, I didn't remember there being a track with a bit of um, relaxed, smiley, stoner good humour on it like this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Does that make yeah. any sense? Absolutely, absolutely, totally does. And I think I, th- I think it's because generally, you know, I think maybe we mentioned this last week, but generally when, when we listen to Rain in Blood, we listen to the whole album because it's so damn short. You know, yes. we, I think people don't generally pick out individual tracks. So, you know, we're, we're kind of coming to this from, from a slightly different angle than usual, I guess. Let, let's make a bit of progress. I'm going, to, I'm going to steal one of your expressions here, Doc. This is why we came. This is why we buy the ticket, isn't it? Really? Yes. It's it's absolutely. It's, it's absolutely sensational. That 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 with with the evil morbid chords in the background, and then, and then transitioning into that kind of single picked like double melody. Oh my God! This is Slayer at the totally at the peak of their power. I would say this may have been a topic of the week. Um, or may going to have been a topic of the week. Um, if you had it in mind, and I'm nicking out from under your nose, I mm. apologise. What was the track that got you into Slayer? Um, and I'm going to... Uh, so just, just so you know, this isn't a, a begging question. Um, I'm going to answer my own question first. 
Um, if I had heard this track before I heard any other Slayer track, this would have got me into Slayer a year and a half or two years before I did. Sure, sure, yeah. I, did, I think for me, it was South of Heaven. Um, because I, <clears throat> a friend of mine lent me, um, I kind of got my head around Maiden, I got my head around Metallica, and Anthraxia, the sexiest band in the world, of course, mm-hmm. as we've we now discovered. Um, I'd kind of, I'd, I'd, I'd wrap my head around all that stuff. And and so, you know, he, he kind of said, oh, now, now, my friend, you're ready. <laughs> you're ready for Slayer. Um, and he lent me Rain in Blood and Sound of Heaven on cassette at the same time. Um, <clears throat> and I... I made the mistake, I suppose, of listening to Rainy Blood. But he, he did not give me guidance ah. as to which one to listen to first. So just by it was 50-50, like a flip of the coin. So I put Rainy Blood on. I thought, what the hell is this? You know, um, Angel of Death starts. It meant nothing to me. Um, <clears throat> and I, I think, if I remember correctly, I kind of, I, I, I didn't listen to the other album for at least a couple of weeks um, because I was so put off by it. Um, and then he said to me, we had the conversation. So, you know, what did you think? And I told him the, the truth. Oh, well, which one did you listen to? And he said, oh, no, listen to the other one first. That, that's what I meant. He just forgot to tell me. <laughs> forgotten to tell me. Listen to Saturday Heaven first. You know, get your head around that and then move on to, to Rainy Blood. So, yeah, I think it's got to be, it's got to be um, South of Heaven. saying doc that you know you you kind of prefer it when slayer a bit kind of doomy and a bit more melodic really um <clears throat> obviously now they've sped up and, and they're, they're kind of hit full throttle but they've earned it haven't they based on that intro they've earned it yeah um and yeah. because we've had the setup they've earned the right to go fast and and it makes conceptual sense within the context of the song. Would I like the song better if it stayed at the same mid-pace all the way through? Um, If that was the only thing they'd ever done like that in their career, um, I would think it was a terrible shame that they couldn't have at least done a whole song in that style. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But as we know now, we've got at least one, possibly two whole albums of stuff like that coming down the pipe quite soon. So oh, yeah, I feel okay about it. Yeah, there, I mean, there are plenty of like mid-tempo Slayer tracks to come, um, you know, and, that, and that's not that's not to suggest that they're kind of weak or tame in any way, but, yeah, but, but, but you know, songs that kind of emphasise the groove over the ferocity, I suppose. And as we've said many times before, I think that's something that comes with, a band building competence and confidence. It's confidence. That's the word for me, isn't it? It's confidence, isn't it? You know, yeah. you, you don't have to go full throttle all the time. Um, you know, <clears throat> and, and in fact, by, by slowing down, you add those dynamics and, and you make your music much more fresh, vibrant and interesting, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, but 
<clears throat> one of the reasons we're doing this exercise at all is as a um, an exercise of, of, of I, I guess, looking at the little bit of human history um, that was happening during the time that these albums were being released, um, and you know, an, an important part of history is. Um, what part of popular culture Slayer represented at that point. And for those few years, um, faster and harder than anyone else was the yeah. most important thing. Yeah, no, you're quite right. Yeah, they're, then, they're, they're, they were the most relentless, weren't they? Yeah. And as you pointed out, um, there's only an extent to which you can take any extreme before it becomes self-defeating or comedy. Parodic um, almost. Yeah. Um, and, you know... What what do you do next? Do you do you start doing like bad um, martial arts films from very near the end of the Shaw Brothers? What you know you're 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 under cranking and speeding the film up. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and I think we're going to see that most you know best demonstrated on the next two albums, basically. You know where they on the next album they really tone things down, and then you know there's a gentle kind of ratcheting up, you know, as they progress in, into the into the following two albums, I would suggest. Yeah. Here we go. Mm. Let's press on. Name that solo, Doc. Our favourite game. Name that solo. Um, I think that's got to be Hanneman, mate. That's Kerry King, sir. Is it? Good lord. Good huh. lord. Yeah, isn't uh, isn't it? Isn't it a curiosity? Am I right about this? The, the the definition of a truism is not something which you can state as being true without having to prove it. The definition of a truism is a thing that people assume to be true until you pick three or four examples and you've discovered it's false at least as often as it's true. Yeah, I think that's correct, yes. Like, for me, a truism is something that is said blindly by people, irrespective of the evidence to the contrary. Yeah. You um, know, for me, for me, that's a truism. So it's, it's a classic example, isn't it? it it's, it's, it's a truism that um, Jeff Hannum plays the tuneful, fast, melodic solos, and mm -hmm. Kerry King plays the um, the noisy ones with excessive use of the wiggle R. Mm -hmm. Well, th th that's certainly the truism. What, what's that expression, Doc? The exception that proves the rule. Um, you know, th yeah, I, I've never quite got my head around that expression. I've, I've thought about it many, many times, and uh, and I, I, I get a bit confused by it. Right. Um, don't bother being confused about it. Um, in fact, take it for what it is, which is which is a piece of sophistry. It's something that sounds like it's it's truistic philosophy. It's something mm. that sounds like philosophy. Mm. Um, it's something that sounds like formal logic. So people accept it as being formal logic, but it's actually complete bullshit. Okay. Um, it, fundamentally, it, is that why I get is that why I get baffled by it, Doc? Because it makes no sense. Um, yeah. Um, you you should be baffled by it because it's bullshit. Yeah, okay. That makes me feel much, much better. Go on. Um, the, the other one, Finish your thought, Doc. Oh, oh, I interrupted. The other one that you'll, you'll, you'll often hear in parallel, which is also a piece of sophistry, is absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, and, of course, that is bullshit. That's bullshit that sounds like philosophy. 
Mm. It, it, it sounds like philosophy. It sounds like it should be logically consistent. Mm-hmm. But actually, as any philosopher will tell you, um, there's no such thing as evidence of absence because you can't prove a negative. Exactly. Sure. This is like science 101, isn't it, basically? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, no, I can't prove there is no God because mm. all, all you have to do is say to me, well, um, when you were looking at that place, God knew you were looking and went somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't prove that it wasn't the black dog that walked across the road in front of you early, earlier today that caused you to have a heart attack. I can't prove that, can I? No. <clears throat> you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, can't, you can't prove any negative, and therefore there's no such thing as evidence of absence. Sure. Um, and that's the... And it's the exact same logical fallacy that means you can't have an exception that proves a rule mm-hmm. because um, a proof is something that requires evidence at least. Do you know um, the name of that logical fallacy by any chance, Doc? Um, is it something like uh, in absentia, something like that? Um, in English, um, I just, uh, I, uh, I've always heard it expressed as um, the unprovability of a negative. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There most certainly will be uh, formal Latin for it and formal Greek as well. Yeah. Um, mm. Which I don't know off the top of my head. No, that's okay, but I, I do like a, a good logical fallacy. Um, uh, let's crack on. We've got about a minute to yeah. go. Here we go. We'll do it in two chunks. Here we go. Do we even need to ask the question, Doc? Name that solo. Uh, once again, to invoke some formal logic, um, by induction, mm. um, I will say that was Kerry King. That was Hanneman. <laughs> that was Hanneman, Doc. <laughs> Doc you, you've suddenly become really terrible at this game. I know. <laughs> I know, shocking. Yeah, just, 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 whatever your instinct is, Doc, just say the opposite from now on. Here we go. Let's finish the track. Here we go. Oh, isn't it good to hear some uh, Dave stops? Oh, <clears throat> Dave does the best stops. Oh, um, Dave really does, does the best stops in the world ever. He just drops them in, doesn't he? I, I, you know, of course, I've, I've heard this song hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times. And each time that stop catches me by surprise. I do not expect it to be there. He, he has the ability to drop them in in the most unexpected of places. Um, did Slayer invent? Um, I'm going to bring up another expression that we discussed in some detail last week, and I'm going to use it in what I believe is the correct uh, context this week. Um, do you remember there was um, an, a, a, a musical idiom that we used to refer to as the anal sex with dwarves cadence? Uh, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> I should remember that because it's as distinctly memorable. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember. Um, I think it was in um, an article about pornography that was in The Guardian or something fairly mm. innocuous. Uh, and the, the passage said something along the lines of, 
Um, modern pornography can provide anything that you want. Um, you want something, something, something? We got it. You want something, something, something? We got that too. You want to see anal sex with dwarves? <laughs> um, and um, at the, I believe we're reading this article um, while we were preparing for a live show and listening to another band sound check. Um, and they performed a song with, at that time, um, a sequence of stops that was fairly common in um, metal in those days. And as a mnemonic, because the series of stops went dun, 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 dun. You know the one? Anal sex with dwarves. Is that, is that the one? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and just the phrase, anal sex with dwarves, <laughs> became a perfect mnemonic for this this particular idiom. So uh, th th thereafter, it became known as the anal sex with dwarves cadence. Um, <laughs> but, but, which Dave Lombardo never resorts to. Dave Lombardo has no interest in anal sex with dwarves, <laughs> as can be demonstrated by his choice of stops. <laughs> now, if Dave Lombardo had been interested in anal sex with dwarves, that would have definitely made him the sexiest member of any metal band Certainly, ever. certainly. You're quite right. Come on, let's finish this off. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> So there we have it, guys. That is track five from Rain in Blood, which is, of course, entitled Jesus Saves. Rescue me. Hold me in your arms. Tell me that was Kerry King at the end there. Uh, that was Kerry King. Correct. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You're back on form. You're back on form. That was Kerry King. Oh. Yeah. Go on, Doc. Give me your brains. Um, so it's a great song. Yeah. Uh, what can I do to sort of say something a little out of the ordinary? Um, I appear to be saying every week um, that this album is consistently surprising me by how surprising it is and how yeah. many different... Think about this, Doc. Let, let me try and help you out here. Think, think about this on vinyl or on cassettes, which, you know, would, would, of course would have been the, the format that everybody, had, well, most people, I think, at the time would have consumed it. How's that for, how's that for a side one closer? What do you think about that? Well, it's a perfect side one closer. Yeah. Um, and it... It rounds out side one as practically a mini album in its own right. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always searching, and you, you know this to be true from our other projects as well, um, when we're dealing with things that I've known and loved for half a lifetime, which is equal to more than the entire lifetime of some people who will be listening to this, mm -hmm. um, I'm always interested in new ways of approaching them, new ways of listening to them. I acquired this album, as I suspect you did, well, as you've already told me you did earlier on, um, stuffed onto one side of a C90 cassette. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a single thing, um, which you listened to from beginning to end, and it would snugly, it would very, very easily fit um, onto one 45-minute side of the cassette. Correct. My medium of choice for buying anything in those days would have been records, would have been vinyl, uh, as the crazy kids call them nowadays. And it gets away from me occasionally because I, I, I acquired a CD later in life. Um, never bought much metal on record because record pressings of metal albums were very often terrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
We, we, we've spoken about this before, basically. The, like the poor quality, like the transfer quality, for some reason, from master to vinyl, just never... <clears throat> it was just way too tinny and lost the base that, that is definitely required in metal. Um, I just think it was cheap vinyl. I just yeah. think it was cheap plastic that they used to press <laughs> the records onto. Um, they were never as loud as the records. They mm. certainly weren't as well produced. Um, and um, if you just buy a record from 1985, go to the charity shop and buy a record on a major label, it doesn't matter what kind of music it is, but take the record out and hold it between your finger and thumb um, and then hold it um, in, in, in your other hand, hold a Slayer album or Anthrax album from the same period. And the thing, even if it's country and Western, even if it's soft rock or something, um, the, the piece of vinyl, the piece of plastic that the major label record is pressed onto feels twice as thick. And you can you can feel the depths of the you can feel the depth of the grooves in your fingers. Is that just a cost a cost saving thing? Is it just purely down to finance? Yeah. Um, so and it, it's not as many people think it's not just the cost of the plastic either. A lot of these records were able to make money, were able to go into profit only because of exports. Mm-hmm. And if you're sending stuff by airmail. Um, being able to halve the weight of the thing oh, that yeah, sure. around the world. Mm, mm. Um, so very often what was done, because of manufacturing regulations, the pieces of vinyl had to be pressed in the US or wherever the label was located. Um, in Europe, the situation became even more complicated because people would often be, tiny labels would often be using manufacturing facilities in the, in the then Soviet Union or the then Eastern Bloc. Um, and moving those things around by air or even by road transport um, is a, a, a non-trivial cost that goes on top of what you have to sell the record for. I've, in order to I've, make money. I've noticed this recently, like in, in the last five or so years, with um, with with physical books actually, and I can only mm. imagine this is the same kind of logic. You know, because the physical medium of books and literature is is a dying art. Um, it, 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 it must be getting increasingly difficult to make it a profitable enterprise. And, and, and one of the ways they seem to be doing it is by making the print smaller and smaller and smaller so that so they can make the books thinner and thinner and thinner to the point where, you know, I'm now finding it almost, I'm, I'm finding many books almost unreadable. Um, I know what you mean. Um, there's the, and I, I think we can squarely blame Stephen King for this. Mm. Um, a lot of people who write genre fiction now, I think, attempt to get the kind of deal where they get paid by the word. Yeah. Um, which leads them to write more and more stuff. Um, if you it's go back, it's, it's a terrible model, isn't it? It's a terrible model for a, you know, for 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 a, for a publisher to strike. I would say to encourage yeah. their authors to to be, you know, to, to write more, to bloat. Basically, what what a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to 1953. Um, and you pick a book that, it wasn't pure pulp, you, you, you pick a book like, say, Casino Royale, um, that was at the high end of the genre, genre, um, and the low end of what anyone would consider literature. And 170, 170, 180 pages was a, a perfectly respectable length. Mm. You could tell a decent story in that length. Um the only books that were much longer than that were ones that really, really earned it. Um, so either they were 
high art experimental literature like Ulysses, or there were genuine epics with an absolute shitload of story in them, and of which Lord of the Rings is the obvious example. Sure. Um, but I mean, uh, you look at something by Jane Austen or something by one of the Brontes or something by George Eliot, th- those, those books do not run to much over 200 pages long. And I mm. don't think anyone says they go short of story now, do they? No, no, of course not. No, they did. It did, you know, it, 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 it seems to me to be like um, a trait of, of modern society that, you know, it's quantity over quality, isn't it, unfortunately? Um, I mean, a perfect a perfect subject, really, when, when, when we're analysing an album that runs at 28 minutes and 10 tracks. Well, it's um, it's one of those fascinating questions. Um, do limitations on the media? Do, do limitations imposed by the medium um, invoke quality control in their own right? Yeah, of course. There's a fixed there's a fixed upper limit to how long um, a vinyl album can be. You try and make it longer than about forty eight minutes. And you're really, really struggling to to deal with the constraints of the medium. Mm. You can make a cassette longer. <clears throat> I mean, a, a, a cassette can be an hour, um, and you you don't have to skimp on the quality of the the medium. You don't have to be using pathetically thin tape that's going to wear out and sound shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big deal. Um, I know Metal Blade were always constantly bashed by everyone for the shitty quality of the cassette tapes. Right. Um, they put out because I mean, in those days, um, having to having a cassette recorder and then another cassette player in your house was by no means guaranteed that that, that was that was somewhat of a luxury. Um, and when you've got a form of music that's honestly mostly popular, mostly popular with people who are not terribly rich, that cassette is going to get played in a lot of crap portable cassette players mm-hmm. it's going to be bounced around a lot and that cassette is going to go through a world of shit and um i don't even think it's i don't know how fair it is to bash a record label for making something or for marketing something that can't stand up to the abuse that was thrown at your average metal cassette in those days mm. yeah um, i remember you know, when I started to have a, a bit of spare cash and was able to actually buy cassettes brand new, I would habitually make a copy of it, and that would be the one that I would play in my uh, in my in my in my Walkman, basically. Yeah, because I mean, uh, here's the thing: if, if your original one got trashed, um, assuming it was available anywhere, which is by no means guaranteed, assuming it was available, that would be another non-trivial amount of money. Yeah. Um, down the shitter just to replace it. Yeah, no, you're quite and, right. And this, this was no, this, this was so, this was understood to be the case so much that from the mid '80s onwards, there was an exception to copyright law in the UK that you were permitted to make one backup copy of a cassette um, to listen to in your car or on your personal stereo. That's right. Yeah, I mean, thank, thank God for that, Doc. Otherwise, I wouldn't <laughs> have done it. Um, but I mean, let's just make sure that everyone knows we, 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 we do our best to play fair on this. Um, the lawmakers and the legislators were by no means ignorant to the plight of people um, who didn't mind paying for a thing. Um, they were very interested in making sure the artists got their royalties and everyone got paid. Um, but also they wanted to have a means of backing up what was actually a really, really fragile medium. 
Yeah, which is fair enough, isn't it? It's totally yeah. fair enough. Of course it is. You, you pay your money. You, you know, you, you've got the right to expect it's going to last. It's going to endure. Um, anything else to say specifically about the song, Doc? Or should we move on to the, um, you know, the, 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 the thorny issue of the, of the lyrics of this track? <laughs> thorny. Um, very good. Very good. <laughs> um, I'm going to have so much to say about this style of Slayer song when we get on to a few future examples of it. And I kind of want to keep myself in check now. Um, so I'll say what I can say without blowing all of the good stuff. I'm, um, I'm saving that for later. I think the dynamics work really, really well. Mm. Um, the, the mid-pace introduction, um, Slayer sort of really for only the second or third time on this album and therefore for only the second or third time in, in or no, only the fourth or fifth time in their career, um, experimenting with some groove. Um, experimenting with some booty shaking, yeah, <laughs> um, and some getting on down, um, and then demonstrating to us that um, they can play really, really quick. Uh, yeah, we we didn't it's know funny, that. About it's funny. It's funny, isn't it? That, we, that, that we, you know, I think both of us have referred to that intro as like mid-paced or medium-paced. I think I think a lot of a lot of metal fans would consider that to be quite slow, actually. But that's because they haven't heard Saint Vitus. So what do they <laughs> fucking know? <laughs> <laughs> um, in your very first metal band, <laughs> um, I remember it was one of the very first live reviews you ever got, <laughs> and. Um, you were supporting some other band uh, who were like this. This being the early nineties and the, uh, uh, the 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 era of prime napalm death, were blisteringly fast, brutal grindcore. And the fanzine that your band got reviewed of re referred to this band as mid-paced. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Oh no! But we, you know, we, we were only regularly hitting 220, 230 beats per minute. So weren't fast enough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, and uh, this, of course, um, uh, calls forward to um, how I actually became friends with the members of DDT. Oh yes, um, as the mighty DDT. Band. Great. Yeah. Um, I went to see them um, play, and they were playing at approximately early period Napalm Death kind of velocity. Mm. Um, their uh, their signature ultra fast brutal gore grind, um, and um, I shouted uh, from the back of the room, um, "More chaos, less structure." Um, to which the singer uh, shouted back at me, we'll see what we can do. And then they played a song with more chaos and less structure. <laughs> yeah, good for them. Good for them. Yeah, I um, took the hint. <laughs> and that, that was um, the, 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 the beginning of a long and beautiful friendship with them. <laughs> yeah, what, what a great band, yeah. It, it, anybody, anybody listening, just Google DDT, Starbridge, and see if there's anything on, on the internet involving them, because they're well worth a look. Um, lyrics time, Doc? Yes, please. Welcome to part three of the show. Um, here, we read through and dissect the lyrics that Tom is bawling at us. <laughs> so, here goes. Verse one. Structure, <laughs> 
You go to church, you kiss the cross. You will be saved at any cost. You have your own reality, Christianity. You spend your life just kissing ass, a trait that's grown as time has passed. You think the world will end today. You praise the Lord. It's all you say. What are, what are they talking about, Doc? What, what are they on about? I want to know, is this how many... Um, explicitly anti-Christian songs with no supernatural content. Um, how many mundanely anti-Christian songs have Slayer done at this point in their career? I think this is the first one. This is number they've one. They've done lots of songs about demons. Yeah. They've done lots of songs about of how Satan is going to get Jesus. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, this is number one. No doubt. It's, yeah. it's not the last time they'll do it, but it's the first time. So um, we're, we're into some new territory here. Um, and I find it very interesting um, that the, the more overtly and mundanely politicised Slayer become, kind of the less politically interesting they are for me. Okay. Um, that first album um, was a very, very fascinating glimpse into the class politics and sexual politics of a particular place in the world at a particular time. And I, we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about it. Um, and maybe they weren't metaphors. Maybe they were singing songs about Satan and demons. And as you memory put it, it's a song about a demon and another demon. <laughs> and maybe That's that right. true. Of course. Um, but there was a lot of... Um, it got to the stage where um, you would practically ask me at the end of every episode, um, so did you spot any homosexual panic in the song this week, mm. Doc? Mm. <laughs> um, I, I felt like the, there were, an, under the cloak of metaphor, um, there were a lot of class politics, um, a lot of um, sexual politics, a lot of stuff about um, confronting yourself as growing young men do. Um, dealing with aspects of your personality, dealing with um, issues that um, affect the less wealthy as they come into contact with the more wealthy, um, dealing with suburban youth um, as they attempt to figure out what the urban world is about. Um, and that was more interesting to me than um, actually just having a go at Christians. Saying that, we need to remind ourselves of the exact period of history that this album was made. That, that was the point I was going to interject with, actually. You, we have yes. to contextualise it, you know, with, with the actual epoch we're talking about. And once again, it seems almost a bit silly to talk about this, from, or to, to try to imagine this from the point of 2021. Um, and it seems odd for me to even think, well, was the world ever really quite that crazy? Yes, it was. Um, I was there, and mathematically, um, yes, it really did seem to be. The level of acceptance, the level of unquestioning acceptance with which terrifyingly bigoted fundamentalist Christians were permitted to, not really permitted, were encouraged to vomit their hate-filled lies mm -hmm. um, into the public consciousness, uncontested, and... Um, if you disputed with them, or if you attempted to take on their God with your God, they had the ways and means of obtaining legal sanction against you. I think, Doc, 
we were in a quite a privileged position here in the UK. I that do we too. were not tainted by this in the same way as many of our cousins. I think if you cross the Atlantic um, to America, you know that you know obviously the, the the prevalence and perniciousness of this stuff was was, was, was far greater. But but equally, we can just cross the Irish Sea and and see the extent of the damage that these people can cause. But but also, you know, we can cross La Manche, cross the English Channel, and you know, head into France, head to more pertinently Spain and Italy to see the grip that that you know that 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 religion can have. On societies, I think here in the UK, actually, we were pretty unscathed, weren't we? Yeah, I mean, the I always I always try to do my best to um, I'm not going to say let other cultures off the hook. Um, I unlike you, I didn't have a Catholic upbringing. Mm. Um, unlike you, I've never lived in a majority Catholic country. Um, but the thing about Roman Catholic culture is, it's 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 a continuance of a very ancient tradition. What you witnessed in North America um, in the 1980s was a research, was not, not a resurgence, an emergence of a very new kind of um, something that's more related to the religious traditions that I was raised in, mm. which is approximately Anglicanism. Yeah. Uh, people who read the King James Bible in English. Um, hated Catholics, hated Jews. I think they probably also hated themselves. For for this to suddenly appear um, amongst a class of people who did not ever give the impression of being ground down by poverty or run down by the system. Um, and you go, you, you fast forward a bit from there. And however Islamophobic the world got after the year two thousand and one, mm-hmm. what people what people were scared of. For right or wrong, the thing that people were scared of were terrorists yeah. with weapons mm-hmm. who were going to hurt them because mm-hmm. they had seen evidence that that stuff really happens. Yeah. In the 1980s, yeah. people were scared of Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, they paid lip service to the fact that they were bothered about um, heroin and um, tech nines. Um, but the more you got into it, and the more you search for an agenda, and you know, it was easy to say, well, um, all, all of the stuff when, when they said they're bothered about Satan, it's clearly a code word, it's clearly a metaphor, it's clearly Jews they're talking about, uh, mm-hmm. it's clearly immigrants they're talking about. But no, it wasn't. It was they were, they were bothered about Satan, they were bothered about the spiritual character of Satan, and it was only the spiritual power of Jesus Christ that could oppose the spiritual power. Of, and to think about that in the modern world. It was the first example I'd ever seen of a society going back, um, of a society which, by the 1980s, had a, um, it had space rockets, it had nuclear weapons, it had eliminated po- for the first time in history a whole entire country had eliminated poverty, or had the capacity to eliminate poverty um, amongst all but a percentage of people who fell through the cracks or who were being discriminated against. You had a country at. The, the peak of its powers and the peak of its development that suddenly from nowhere started talking about how Satan was a threat. And yes. this is, looking back on it now, that's the thing that I'm not sure that people younger than us can appreciate. Um, I don't think it was cloaked racism. Um, I don't think it was cloaked class prejudice. I think the majority of people were genuinely, the majority of fundamentalist Christians 
believed that the devil was out to ruin their world for them. I think it's a similar situation that, 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 we've, that we've had in recent times. Um, I think you have, <clears throat> I think you have a group of people at the top of, of, of this kind of organised religious cabal who <clears throat> know that everything that they're saying is absolute horseshit. Um, they don't believe a word that they're saying and they're just in it for themselves to, to make themselves as rich as possible, basically. Then underneath that, you have like the, 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 like a, a huge swath or tranche of, of people who believe what these people are telling them. But, they, but they're quite balanced individuals. And I would say that makes up like 95 percent of them. You know, they believe this nonsense they're being taught, but, but there's no malice. There's no malice in them. And, there's, and you know, and, and their behavior is in no way detrimental to society but then you've got like this tiny percentage which is really kind of hateful and hurtful and damaging and and, and divisive and separatist and, and, and occasionally tipped over into violence and i i, I think you get the comparison with um like with islam in the in the modern world you know i i you know i would say that the the people at the, at, at the head of of organized Islamism, if, if, if such a word exists, do not believe a single fucking word they're talking about. Then you've got the, the vast majority of people that listen to them and follow what they're being told. And then you've got this tiny percentage who are, in my opinion, mentally ill, um, to be pitied and, 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 and to feel sorry for. And they, go and, and they go and cause great damage in society. What do you think about that, Doc? Um, yeah, I'll take up your point in one second. I've got to reverse. No, I, I've got to clarify something I said back then. Um, I said that the US had eliminated poverty by 1980. Um, I'm not so ignorant as to think there weren't poor people in the US in 1980. Um, what I should have said, or what, what I should have made sure that I said more clearly was the US had the economic means to end poverty in sure. 1980. Yeah. Up until that point, Countries that had poor people weren't wealthy enough to do anything about that. I think, it was, I think it was clear from what you said, Doc. That, okay. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't think anybody suggested, you know, that America was just going to wave a magic wand and, and make poverty disappear sure. entirely. Um, yeah. Don't just, worry about so as, just so long as I'm making this abundantly clear, yeah. I'm not suggesting for a second that I don't think there were dirt poor people in the US. And I'm sure. not saying that I don't think there were people who were being discriminated against. Um, so what you were talking about, um, there's a commonality. I must look up. Um, there are two, we'll loosely say political theorists, who turned out to be writing at the exact same time. One of them is, um, and I've got to find these names to put in the errata. Um, they were writing in the middle of the 1960s. One of them was a what we would nowadays call an Islamist. The other one is nowadays what we call a libertarian. Um, one of them wrote a, they both wrote a critique of America. Um, one was written by an American living in America. The other was written by a Muslim living somewhere in the Middle East. And independently of each other, they came to the conclusion that what was wrong with America was it had too much freedom. Um, a, a, a general puritanical principle, surely. Um, yeah. Um, but these two people who nominally... Um, you can imagine them having a steel cage rumble with each other, mm. um, all else being equal. But from opposite sides of the world and opposite perspectives, yeah. they ended up reaching the same conclusion. Sure. Um, 
There's a phrase in Hebrew um, which roughly translates as a new convert is a disgrace to the temple. Um, and that's often misinterpreted to mean that um, religions shouldn't go seeking new converts because, you know, that that it's it's impious and it's it's evangelical. What the phrase actually means is new converts um, are so pious and so, um, I suppose you might call energetic um, in their practice of their newfound religion that they show everyone else up and they make everyone else look bad. Okay, yeah. Um, it, it, so, it, it, it's like the new guy at work that, that you know, that, that's so keen that, you know, he stays until six o'clock when everybody else pisses off at five. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like the the the, the recent convert um, is the guy at temple or the guy at synagogue who's constantly looking in everyone else's lunch boxes and and and, and criticizing them for not being properly kosher. Sure. Um, or constantly criticizing people for not observing their prayers or not cutting their beards correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, in the case of Islam and in the case of fundamentalist Christianity. I get the idea without much evidence that um, a lot of the, the lunatic fringe of both of these things are recent converts. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll find they're the same kind of people. I think you'll find, as you said, they are people with mental health problems. Mm-hmm. I think they're people who are very often going through not even their first attempt to find something to belong to. Correct. Um, many, Correct. Of them, many of them have got a history of involvement with very often what we might loosely call outlaw groups, so biker gangs, communal living, um, crusty travellers, then they've very often gone through a phase of um, something criminally antisocial, um, quite often the extreme right wing, um, and then they find God. Mm. Mm. Um, and I, I think you see this pattern repeated between the kind of people who really in, in the US in the 80s who really believed that Satan was amongst them and Satan was causing trouble and their equivalent 20 years on will be the people who nowadays turn up in Syria um, rather sort of euphemistically called uh, ISIS fighters sure um, now why do you think Islamic causes send them to die in Syria mm-hmm. um, it's because well the organisers of the radical Islamic causes can't lose. Um, if they win, the radical Islamic cause gets some benefit from it. Um, if they lose, then it's a bunch of foreign losers and troublemakers who aren't going to cause any more trouble for Islam ever again. And 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 equally, you know, they're, they're you know they they're kind of their home nations are not going to desperately send diplomats to fight for their cause you know to to repat to repatriate the bodies or to you know su- to suggest that they should be treated with respect you know that these, these you know these become almost like stateless entities don't they well we have the, the, the you know the example of is it shamina shamina begum i think her name is yeah. um the the, the schoolgirl. she was 15 i think when she when she left for syria and she is effectively stateless now because bangladeshi british origin Bangladesh has as 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 as, as, as denationalised her, and so has Britain. So you know she she's now effectively a stateless human being. When Western colonial powers had empires, um, they used to sluice their gutters out into the colonies. Um, if you made too much trouble in the home country, um, you'd find yourself flattered into joining a crack colonial regiment 
um, and then you'd be sent into the jungle to die of malaria or yellow fever or native spears. Mm. Um, now those kind of empires don't exist anymore. Um, I bet you there are countries like Belgium and the Netherlands um, who are happily sluicing their jails and secure mental institutions out. Here's a plane ticket. Uh, Here's a book about Islam. Um, You work it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, go, go figure it. Go figure it out for yourself. Yes. Yeah, you know, the, I, I remember shortly after the um, appalling um, attack in Nice. You, you know, where, where, where that where, where the guy drove a lorry into a crowd of people on Bastille Day. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a, a truly terrible, terrible incident. But I got into a raging argument with somebody because I I I made the point that you know I thought that guy was mentally ill. You know. I didn't feel hatred towards him. I felt pity, and 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 it, you know, it, it, it didn't it did not win me any favour, Doc. Let me let me tell you that in France. Here's the thing: um, when something like that happens, people love to take on hurt by proxy now, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we we started this episode talking about Martin Bashir, and one of the most stomach churning things about that thing that he was writing about at the time was the, this 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 ghastly phrase that, that that passed into popular use afterwards, and and the people's princess or the queen of hearts. Yes, um, and it's the strangest thing because um, the last time I looked. Um, there was this person who had a name, which was Diana Spencer, and she seemed to be quite a troubled young woman, mm-hmm. um, probably needed some help and probably needed leaving alone for a little while. Sure. Um, sure. And in this act of alleged respect or veneration or whatever people choose to call it, um, she ended up being deprived even of her own fucking name. She's called, pe- people call her Princess Diana, or, you know, she was a real person and she had her own name. Yeah. Um, I bet you most people don't even know her name was Diana Spencer. No, you're probably right. Doc, I tell you what, we've gone deep there. Um, and, you know, I think you, you've kind of got a hard out, haven't you, at some point. So um, should, we, should we move on to the next bit? We have gone deep, um, but I think it's necessary if we're, going to understand what, if we're going to understand what the song is about. I started off by saying that when, fundamentally, I started off by saying that when Slayer tried to be more political, they end up being less political and less interesting. I don't agree and with then, that, by the way, Doc. I then had to backtrack from that um, and contextualise this song in the year in which it was released. Yeah. Um, Which um, I'm glad we did. Yeah. The the reason I don't do... I'm sorry if that sounded a bit aggressive. The reason I don't... The reason I don't agree with it is, you know, I I think this is a a song of of, of note uh, in the history of Slayer. As you pointed out, it's the first time they've kind of gone real in a way and talking about like proper social issues with with zero slayer cosmology zero supernatural elements mm. it, it, this is straight isn't it you know there there, yes. there is no slant to this there is no way you can interpret this other than look at the words this is what they mean i think yes. for that i think it's i think it's quite interesting i think this one example is interesting once again um if they if they take to doing this and nothing this or uh, and nothing but this all the time, um, then what you end up with is another shouty hardcore band with slightly yeah. better production. Yeah, I, I, th- I think they kind of drop one of these per album from this point on. Yeah, pretty much, um, you know, and, and that's fair enough, isn't it? It's fine. It keeps things interesting and it makes them diverse. Yeah, um, yeah. I, um, I have a shelf full 
um, I have a bookcase full of textbooks on political science. And if I want to learn something about political science, I'll go and consult one of those. Um, my politics in art, um, I like better um, when they're... <laughs> um, politics plus art, um, I like better when there's more attention paid to the art than politics. Mm. I, I, think we can, I think we can look at like future Slayer albums... I mean, you know, it, it's not it's not a solid rule, but you've you've got one kind of grounded anti-Christian song, you've got one serial killer song, and you've got one song about the Nazis, <laughs> and the other stuff's all the cosmology, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know. Should we move on, Doc? Jesus saves. Listen to you pray. You think you think you'll see the pearly gates when death takes you away. Um, pretty straightforward, isn't it? Really, nothing much. Nothing much to say about those that that particular extract for me. What about you, Doc? What's the big deal for Slayer here? Um, is it? Are they attempting to remonstrate with these people? Are, are, are they attempt to attempting to explain to the putative fundamentalist Christians? Um, that they are basing their existence on something unproved and unprovable. Um, I think it's a perspective thing. I, th yeah. I, I think it's really difficult for us to understand it because we weren't hectored and lectured in the same way as Americans were at this point in time. You know, we did not have channels devoted to evan, to, you know, like evangelical Christians telling us, you know, that, that we're going to burn in hell and be damned. Um, you know, our, our, our politicians, though, you know, those steeped in Christianity, were not defined by their Christianity. Um, so, so I think, it, I, th I think we have to accept that, that the American perspective is different to ours. Right. So now um, we're coming on to a, a couple of really interesting things here. Um, and it's something we'll, we'll, we'll come back to again and again and again. Um, and the one I want to look at here is, despite a shared language and a lot of shared history um, and continued economic and military alliances, um, I constantly have to remind myself that US culture frequently bears no relationship to UK culture at all. Mm -hmm. It's a wildly different place. Yeah. It's on a completely different continent on the opposite side of the world. Um, and the mere fact that they speak English um, and have some political and economic similarities to the UK, um, you you kind of you kind of need to say that's what we've got in common, and then there's everything else. Sure, no, no, it it it, it is curious, isn't it? You know, and and I think this. Um kind of tolerance and acceptance, you know, the, the Bible Belt, for instance, you know, there the, the just is no equivalent here, is there? There just there simply is not. The, the closest you could get, I can imagine, would be the very hardcore unionist parts of Glasgow or Belfast. Oh, that's true. That, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, you've got, um, uh, is, it, is it Falls Road or Fallings Road? Falls Road, in, yeah. In Falls Road in Belfast, certainly. Um, yes, certainly. Yeah, very, very, very sectarian. Yeah, and similarly the area around Ibrox yeah. Park in Glasgow. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but aside from those two places, I don't think there's anywhere in Britain that you could go to 
if you're wearing, I don't know, like a an in, like a t-shirt with an inverted crucifix on, where anybody is even going to bat a fucking eyelid, nobody cares. Um, Richard Dawkins had something very interesting to say on Anglican Christianity, uh, and um, he said it was the religious equivalent of smallpox vaccine. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very mild dose of Christianity that's mm-hmm. administered to you, um, that's, that's drip-fed to you from birth, and it, it, it gently immunises people against the more virulent forms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dawkins constantly refers to religion as a disease, doesn't he? Um, and <clears throat> I must be honest, you know, a, a bit of self-congratulation, if you don't mind, Doc. What, my, my, my proudest... Um, uh, song title was, was called STD brackets slaves to dogma. I quite like that, you know. Oh, um, yeah, you know, it, it's neat, isn't it? It's neat. It, it kind of it, it it tells you everything you need to know about what you what, what you're about to hear lyrically, I suppose. Yeah, um, I think Dawkins' point is that um, the way that culture spreads, and this is a little different to the way in which most people understand the word now. I believe Dawkins is credited with first using the word meme mm, um, in this context. Yeah, mm. um, and he um, this goes back to um, like his his early um, conceptions of um, although he's not a determinist, there's a thing that functions very much like the way that DNA works and makes mm. people selfish, mm-hmm. um, and. If it functions the same way as DNA works, in other words, it's um, it can be passed on through reproductive means. It can also be passed on virally. Um, is there actually a difference between um, a meme and a gene? Mm. Um, <clears throat> if if a virus works the same way as a piece of genetic coding, is there actually any difference between them? Um, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I. I think that's what he means when he talks about selfish genes and when he talks about religions being disease. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I saw a, fa- a, a fantastic uh, visual, um, which kind of re- represented the, 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 the world in different colours based on the predominant religion of that area. And, and, and it's so clear when, you know, when, we, we all know this intrinsically, but, but when it's put in front of you so blatantly, it, it is fascinating, you know, to, just to look at that. You'd, so I happen to be born in Pakistan, for example. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I am a Muslim. You know, um, nature versus nurture arguments are inevitable, aren't they? You know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. Let's take two very contrasting examples here. Um, if you look at the parts of Africa and what religions they adhere to. How, about how Africa got religion. Africa got religion in two ways. Either it came overland through the overland merchants and slave traders um, who brought it from the Middle East down the middle of the country and then fanned outwards, and that's Islam. Mm. Or else it came via the oceans um, with European imperialists, and that's Christianity. So the bits of Africa now that are Christianized are the ones that are close to the ocean, in the lowlands, around the rivers, and they're wealthier. And the parts of Africa that are Islamic are the ones that were accessed from the interior going outwards, and they're hilly and arid and dry and poor. Sure. Um, If you look at America, the strangest thing is, if you look at the family names of some of the people involved, 
or many of the people who call themselves, um, who, who are the backbone of the fundamentalist Christian movement, um, if you look at many of their family names, if you look at the places in the country where immigrant that, that were known to have been populated by immigrants from certain places, the ethnic group that composes fundamentalist Christianity uh, in the US has a staggering number of, one assumes, hereditarily Catholic Scots and Irish people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the great mystery to me. When they emigrated, they didn't appear to take their Catholicism with them. Um, or if they did, it kind of mutated on arrival um, into this thing that's as far from Catholicism as you can get and still call it Christianity. Well, these are the wasps, aren't they? You're talking about wasps, aren't you, basically? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, for anybody that doesn't know, yeah, that's white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. You know, um, the, 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 the dominant religious force in America, I would say. Except, of course, in ethnic origin, they're white, but they're not Anglo-Saxon Protestant, they're Celtic Catholics. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and... But, uh, you know, you know, maybe they just saw the way the wind was blowing and realised that, you know, that, that would be the best way for them to proliferate and be successful. Well, of course, Catholicism isn't... Catholicism isn't very portable. Um, Catholicism needs churches and rituals um, to sustain itself. Um, Baptism and other forms of Protestantism are much more portable as religions. Um, You can, you can find a building or a barn or a tent um, or, um, I mean, Catholicism, for for instance, even contains a prohibition against outdoor preaching. Protestantism doesn't even necessarily require like a leader in the in like in the form of a priest, does it? No, absolutely not. Um, and, and, and that's a big difference, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, very very central to Lutheran thinking. Um, it, it, I think this might be the absolute origin of the schism between Protestantism and, and Catholicism. Um, Martin Luther. Um, got called a heretic for suggesting that anyone could be in touch with his God simply by praying and reading the Bible. Sure. Um, what what a heathen. What a heathen. Yeah. Imagine. Um, Imagine the thought. Yeah. Um, and this obviously ups- worried the Catholics very, very greatly if they thought their hierarchy... Lack of control, of- basically, at yeah. that point. Um, so you can understand when a lot, a lot of people were emigrating... Um, for economic reasons or for many other reasons, um, suddenly being cut off from um, Catholic culture, no church, no priest, um, no one who knew enough Latin to say mass. Um, you've got the choice between either going heathen yeah. um, or uh, taking on um, taking on the religion that the Germans and the Dutch people who were immigrating at the same time as you had brought with them, which gave the appearance of being much more portable. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still recognised to be Christian. It still had the Bible. It still had a lot of the same prayers. Um, and um, I suppose suddenly deprived of Catholicism, a lot of these people would have, um, they'd have become one of those new converts who are a disgrace to the temple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, no incense as well. Imagine that. Imagine no nag champa. Just imagine a world. What a terrible world it would be. Um, I, I probably had peyote. 
I was being a bit silly, Doc. I was being a bit silly. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, a, 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 a world without those burning handbags would, yeah. of course, be a terrible place. Let's get back to the lyrics briefly, if we can. I mean, this is such a fascinating subject. It's it's hard to stay focused, isn't it, really? Um, you think you'll see the pearly gates. Now, the, the, it, this is a funny one, isn't it? Because pearly gates sounds like such like a, a lame expression. You know, it kind of in, 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 in kind of slay lyric terms. But how else can you express it? You know, it, 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 it totally makes sense, doesn't it, in the context? Yeah, um, and it's sort of, it's one of those phrases that's held up as an example of the intrinsic lameness of cuddly-wuddly Christianity. Mm. But the, like, what the fuck are pearly gates? I know, I don't, I don't even know what it means, really. What am I supposed to make of <laughs> pearly gate? Um, you know, I mean, if you talk about um, the Temple of the New Jerusalem on top of Mount Zion, well, you, 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 you can imagine what that is. You of know course. what that looks like. Yeah, There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, if you talk about the seventh gate of hell, guarded by a portcullis of iron and surrounded by human skulls, you can picture that. <laughs> like, like, what? I, 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 I picture that most nights, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but but I, 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 I can't even imagine what pearly gates... No. It, it, it's florid, sort of, isn't it? It's just florid. Florid, vapid nonsense, really. It's, it's, it's sort of held up. Um, or it's used as an example of um, how pretty bourgeois um, modern Christianity is, because it makes you think of the gates of a nice public park in Surrey with some wrought iron and some shit fake gemstones attached mm. to them and things like that. You're right. Um, it's, it, it, it's, it's, very, um, it, it's very doily and embroidered cushions. And it is. It's anti, it, it's, anti, it's anti Macassar, isn't it, basically? Yes. That's absolutely. what we're talking about, really. Let's do the last main verse here, Doc, just, just, just so we feel like we're making some progress. <laughs> For all respect, you cannot lust. In an invisible man, you place your trust. Indirect dependency, eternal attempt of amnesty. He will decide who lives and dies. Depopulate Satanus rise. You will be an accessory to irreverence and blasphemy. I have to say, I absolutely love this verse. The structure, the rhythm, you know, ju ju just the general feel and rhythm of it, the cadence, if you will, of it. Yeah. Um, I think it's absolutely great. For all respect, you cannot lust. I don't understand that line. What's he talking about? For all <laughs> respect, you cannot... Because that, that seems to be the opposite of, tr of, of what's true. That, that Surely they are lusting after respect of everybody. Um, I think it means that um, in a fuck-me-Jesus kind of way... Um, Jesus is very obviously supposed to be a sex object for Christian women, but very, very specifically um, a sex object that they will never have access to ever, ever, ever. Oh, really? It, 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 you think that's what that line means? That's what I took it to mean. Really? I, I, that just never, ever crossed my mind. I've never considered Jesus to be like a, like a pin-up. So once again, um, it's a bit more Catholic than the people we're talking about. Um, Catholic nuns are called and referred to themselves as the Brides of Christ. Mm -hmm. 
before they take their vows, they have an initiation ceremony where they wear a wedding dress. And I guess, the, 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 you know, the, the, the famous scene from The Exorcist, I, I, riffs on that, I suppose, didn't like the Fuck Me Jesus. Fuck Me Jesus um, and, yeah. um, the, uh, and the most famous scene from The Devils as well. Yeah, well, very, very interesting, Doc. Uh, that's really insightful. An invisible man, you, you place your trust. It's a bit childish, isn't it? If, to me, that feels a bit childish, but I, but I get it. It's a good rhyme, and it, and it, and it, and it conveys the message. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, um, I think Christopher Lee's character in The Wicker Man says something very similar when uh, Sergeant Howie tries to sort of mock him for believing in... Um, childish paganism um, yeah. and Lord Semeral replies and says uh, well uh, of course it is far less sensible than your religion which preaches a god burn of, born of a virgin raped by a ghost mm. Um, mm. I wish I could do Christopher Lee's voice I can do Peter <laughs> Cushing's voice quite well I can't do Christopher Lee's at all well, give, um, give, give us a bit of cushion man you cannot possibly be serious you're talking about vampires <laughs> no don't try and convince me just don't there we go. Peter Cushing, guys. He's doing Peter Cushing. Yeah, there we go. Very good. Um, indirect dependency. Indirect. Is that Slayer kind of letting the Christians off a little bit? Saying indirect dependency. Um, no. Um, I think it's a reference to um, people who behave very much in the same way that people they despise behave. And we're talking about outwardly respectable Christians um, who go to church and have their nice little houses um, and their fairly respectable lives, but to all intents and purposes, the way in which they behave to, with respect to their drug of choice is, the, is no different from the way a street junkie behaves. <clears throat> um, they need their fix. They'll do anything to get their fix, including robbing their family or checking their family under a bus to get it. Um, they ruin other people's lives um, in the pursuit of satisfying their habit and their addiction. Um, I think that's what that, that's what it's an explicit reference to. It's pretty it's pretty sophisticated, isn't it? Two words drilling down so deeply into you know in, 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 the flaws of a of, of of this society by two words, yeah. man. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's something approaching lyrical genius. Yeah, yeah. Um, eternal attempt of amnesty. Feels a bit clumsy to me, Doc. I mean, amnesty kind of means forgiveness, doesn't it? Or, you know, you, you're not going to be punished for your crimes, basically. Well, it's... Um, intentionally, um, I think... Um, <clears throat> It's a counterpoint to the previous line. So um, obviously a, a dependency, because um, respectable people have dependencies. They never have addictions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, respectable people will occasionally confess to dependency on prescription sleeping pills and things like this. Yeah, or, you know, the, exactly, exactly. They're, they're Zopiclone dependent. They're not yeah. Zopiclone addicts, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah they're, they're, um, they're, um, they're not heroin addicts who can get legal stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's um, it's triazepam. It's not. Um, uh, it's it, it's 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 not street smack, and that makes not it smack. Different. Yeah. Um, even though it's chemically identical. Sure. <laughs> um, and uh, so obviously the the point of an amnesty is 
um, fessed up, um, hand over your spoons and your needles, um, check into rehab, and we won't prosecute you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, from time to time, you know, every every council or state or borough, depending on you know which country you're living in, offers a weapons amnesty, don't they? For example, where you, can, right, you know yeah. you, you can bring in your knuckle dusters and and, and your baseball bats stuck with fucking nails and things, and, <laughs> you know, and just hand those in, and no, so, no questions asked, basically. I I I, I think. Um, at this time, I think that there were many experiments with drugs amnesties as well, um, mm. and it was considered that many people continued to be addicts because they had they had no means of getting off the street. Mm. Uh, they had no means of. Um, there was an opinion which I think I probably agree with that what people are what street addicts are addicted to is is the lifestyle as much as the drugs. Sure, they've got no way off the streets. Their only friends are addicts. Sure. Um, they can't ask for help because what they're doing is actually criminal. Mm. So you have this concept of an amnesty. Um, do your best to stop and we won't throw the fucking book at you. In fact, we'll try and get you some help. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you've, you've, you've got this compare and contrast. In the previous line, you've got a metaphor for drug addiction. Um, in this line, you've got um, the metaphor for, um, of course, the point being that um, the fundamentalist Christians are not remotely apologetic about not even wanting to get over their habit, but it won't rehabilitation. Yeah, yeah. Um, he will decide who lives and dies, depopulate Satanus rise. I love this, I love this, this couplet. He will decide who lives and dies, depopulate Satanus rise. Now, is he suggesting that um, by poisoning the mind of people into believing in Jesus and Christianity, that that kind of disempowered, disempowers Satan and his inevitable march to victory on earth. Um, I think it's saying something very cheeky, very, very cheeky and very blasphemous um, and politically completely defensible. Um, defensible or indefensible, Doc? Defensible. Defensible, thank you. Yes. Um, depopulate, um, have fewer kids. Yeah. Um, this is also, let's, let's not forget, this is also just about the era where the AIDS crisis is about to kick off. Mm-hmm. Um, Slayer were... I, I think, it was, I think it was, this was right at the heart of, of the AIDS crisis. 86, yeah. we're talking late 86... AIDS was AIDS was thriving at this point, wasn't it? Um, yes, it was, and it wasn't yet admitted. Um, mm-hmm. I believe the the ground zero for the the public recognition of the crisis was considered to be the spring of eighty seven. Oh, really? Okay, so yeah. so so we lost six months prior. Yeah, yeah, fair um, enough. So the, the 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 first wave of celebrity diagnoses was going to be at the beginning of eighty seven. When was Mercury? Later, oh. um, he too not particularly to his great honour. Um, he was in denial about it for quite a long time. And when you say in denial, are you suggesting that he kind of carried on with his behaviour? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, fair enough, yeah. Um, he's known to have done. <clears throat> okay, fair enough. Right, so um, fundamentally what we have here is a line that's saying um, use barrier contraceptives, 
um, stop AIDS, have less kids, because um, the less kids you have, Satanus rise. Is this a reference to Satan, the great Satan, um, being occasionally being a reference to the greatness of the US or money? Um, so if you have fewer kids, you won't be so fucking poor. It's brilliant, isn't it? It, it is brilliant. The choice of word there, instead yeah. of saying Satan's rise with an apostrophe, Satanus rise, yeah. it just sounds so much more evil, doesn't it? It just sounds so much darker. It, 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 it's inspired stuff. Well, and I mean, it's, it's, it's also a reminder that um, by, by using a, even if the name Satanus has no particular um, resonance in real, actual human mythology. Um, by making it into a Latin word, um, you're reminding the listener that um, it's not an invention of fundamentalist Christians. Mm -hmm. It's something far older than that. Sure. Um, uh, there was a Satan... Um, before these new kids on the block, um, before these trite little Southern Baptists... Um, and their complaints about rock and roll music. Satan's been around for a lot longer than that, and frankly, he's going to be around for a lot longer after, a, a yeah. lot longer after as well. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a warning almost, isn't it? A threat in a way. Yeah, um, and so I mean, I, do you see as I do a, a, a clear reference between what what seems to me like the the imperative depopulate, mm -hmm. have fewer kids. Mm -hmm reduce the size of your population mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and against conventional Christian wisdom, which says your family is your tribe and your tribe is your army. And if you want your nation to be strong, and this, this, this is what the first five books of the Old Testament are all about. Um, if you want your nation to be strong, grow your family, grow your tribe and grow your army. Um, and then you can go strolling around Canaan, taking other people's stuff away from them. It, 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 I find this I find this particular line really really enigmatic and ambiguous because I I, I think there are two two ways to take it depopulate depopulate satanus rise you know if if we are good virtuous Christians and you know kind of breed other good virtuous Christians we are depopulating the potential rise of of Satan by effectively having an army of our own, you know, I think I think that's a way to interpret it too. The thing is, it's Christianity that favours large <clears throat> families. It's yeah. Christianity that favours sexual intercourse for no reason other than procreation. But that's my point. <clears throat> that's my point, yeah. Doc. That's exactly my point. Breed like breed like fucking rabbits. Yes. So so when the hordes of Satan do emerge, we we are more numerous than them. Yeah. Um, Precisely. And I mean, the, 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 the converse of that is that Satan or Satanism preaches sexual intercourse for almost every reason except procreation. Correct. Yeah. Just, um, just pure pleasure, decadence, hedonism, basically. Well, or spiritual enlightenment. Oh. Um, or um, the, the, there, are, there are many occult schools of sex magic. Mm. Um, many of which are bullshit, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but then a good chunk of all philosophy is bullshit, so um, mm. doesn't discriminate. Um, there are many occult schools of sex magic. Um, I don't think many people would doubt that um, a really good way to get to know someone better is to have sex with them. Mm. 
It's one of well, the most it, it's one of the most intimate forms of human communication there is. That's certainly how we really kind of crystallised our relationship, wasn't it, Doc? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. Um, um, apart from the use of the actual crystals, of course. Of course, um, yeah. Um, you will be an accessory to irreverence and blasphemy. Why an accessory? Who's he talking to? Um, well, the, the, the accessory to a crime is um, a person who makes it possible um, and is considered culpable to the same degree as the perpetrator. Um, so effectively, if you and I went out tonight and you knew I had a beef with someone um, and I'd made a point of, I'm not going to go out strapped. Um, and if we end up going at it, we'll go at it with fists and no one will really get hurt. Uh, but you'd secretly taken a knife along. Um, and when the inevitable punch-up started, um, you handed me the knife and went, go on, wet him. Sure. Let him have it. Um, yeah. Then you would be an accessory. The, the murder would not have taken place unless you had taken premeditated action. Mm. You never said, you, you, you never knifed anyone. Yeah. Uh, you never... Any, any, anybody wondering why I said that, just, just type in the expression, let him have it, into Google yeah. and, and read all about it. And that's exactly what the doc's talking about. Yes, it is. What we're searching for um, here, or what, what's being hinted at, um, is that the Christians, the fundamentalist Christians, presumably by being so hate-filled and so barbarous, are doing the opposite of what they hope they'd be doing and, and, and actually encouraging Satanism. They're driving people away from the positive, life-affirming, philosophical aspects of Christianity. They're convincing people that Christianity is a crazy religion for crazy people. And um, Satan is actually really quite pleased about this. Mm, mm. Yeah. I, th I think this is possibly my favourite verse set of lyrics thus far in Slayer's back catalogue. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. know about you, Doc. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I love it. But, you know, of course, maybe that's my own personal kind of bias coming into it because I happen to pretty much agree with the message that's being, you know, actually being stated. Um, so here's the thing. If, if you're going to make a boldly mundane song, um, if you're, and so I think it's worth reiterating at this point, this is something new um, for Slayer to be doing, and it's something new for metal to be doing. Um, we've had metal songs that are, that are critical of Christianity, um, and we've had them since the very beginning of, of, of anything that can be called metal. Um, but almost all of them felt the need to contain a supernatural component. Um, so... War Pigs by Black Sabbath is, is, is the obvious example. Thoroughly mundane for its first four-fifths. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the last verse, it introduces a supernatural element where um, the literal character of Satan takes over the world after sure. the nuclear holocaust. Sure. Uh -huh. For a metal band, as opposed to a hardcore band, to write a song purely in the realm of the mundane um, was quite new at this stage, I think. I think you're right. It, it, it's prosaic. It's um, kind of grounded in reality in a way that perhaps we'd never, ever seen before. Sh should we wrap up the last six lines, Doc? Yes, let's. Jesus said, 
Jesus saves, no need to pray. The gates of pearl have turned to gold. It seems you've lost your way. Then there's a solo, and then we and then we get the last three lines. Jesus saves, no words of praise, no promised land to take you to. There is no other way. Um, <clears throat> I find this absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, particularly that line, the gates of pearl have turned to gold. I think that's absolutely excoriating of the evangelical movement in in America. You know these so, mother these motherfuckers that stand there preaching and telling everybody else what to do whilst they're raking in all of the cash. Yeah. Um, but it's also deeply, you know, the, the 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 second half of it is so deeply nihilistic and pessimistic. You know, suddenly Slayer are back, aren't they? You know, back in their normal territory, I suppose, of of making yeah. us of making us feel absolutely mortified at, at, at the at the terror of our own existence. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you 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 said a little while ago that this song didn't contain any of the the Slayer cosmology. Um, I think it does. Go on, um, Well, um, the really fucking depressing end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, I think that's mundanity and 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 and, and prosaic, and and real. Yes, but I understand how you're interpreting. You know why you're interpreting it as the, like the state of cosmology. You know. Yeah. And, and, and um, maybe there, and maybe there's no maybe doc maybe there's an overlap. Um. Yeah. And um. So I, I like talking about the state of cosmology as being a form of gnostic dualism. Mm. Um, and um, this anybody song listeners, anybody who had Gnostic dualism on your bingo cards, dab it off now. <laughs> <laughs> um, this song doesn't contain a supernatural element. The closest it gets is that line: um, you know, that there's, "There's there's no promised land." Um, this is a bitter Slayer joke mm. um, because um, I don't know. I don't know how Christians could ever think they were going to be given access to the promised land because it says very explicitly in the Bible that the promised land was not promised to Christians. It's for the Jews, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. But generally Christians kind of <laughs> absentmindedly forget that part, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that, that, I, I, I think that's that's a bit of nasty, bitter slayer humour there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, the once again, the idea that these fundamentalist Christians, the, the, these these latecomers, feel absolutely privileged um, to um, to swan in and effectively help themselves to um, something that's historically property of Jews. You know, anyone would think they're anti-Semites or anything like that. Sure. Or something like that now, Heaven forfend! Heaven forfend! The the line about uh, the gates of pearl have turned to gold, um, which apart from being a genius line, I think reinforces what we suspected earlier on um, about, in the context of the song, Satan, uh, going by one of his other names, Mammon, um, can be understood to mean material wealth or money. Sure, sure. Yeah, it, 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 it's absolutely sensational. I mean, we've reached the end of the lyrics, Docker. Unless you've got anything further to say. It's one of those songs, and as you pointed out, 
um, a million years or almost an hour ago. Um, they kind of speak for themselves now, don't they? They really do, don't they? But uh, yet somehow we've managed to kind of uh, drag two hours out of it. But, but, but I think that actually talks really, really highly about the quality of these lyrics. Um, the, the music is great, but, you know, I've been, ke- I've been keeping an eye on the clock, Doc. We spent, we have spent one hour and 10 minutes talking about the lyrics, 50 minutes doing the intro and the actual music combined, and then one hour and 10 minutes talking about these lyrics. I think that tells you everything you need to know about the quality of these lyrics. I think it's sensational. I made this point when we did the episode on Angel of Death. Um, When you try to work out what the difference is between um, a good band, a band that you like, and a band that defines, in some ways, defines your life, causes you to change the way you think about the world and makes a very deep impression on you. Um, And in order to understand what makes that band special, in order to understand what it is about those songs, um, I think you need to go into them. Um, I mentioned Angel when when we were doing Angel of Death, there are people of my acquaintance who have um, taken up, in some cases, professional careers in subjects related to Holocaust studies um, because of hearing that song when they were 13. Yeah, of course. Um, This is not the song explicitly, but it's songs like this. Um, And of course, I was being taught how to how to read poetry um, in English class in comprehensive school at the time when I was a young teenager, Um, and so having been taught to understand the techniques that poets use and the way that you can use poetry to mean more than just the words. So it's a good question. Why poetry? Why even bother? Um, as I've discussed already, fundamentally, I'm a drama man. If I had to, if there was only one form of literature that could survive out of poetry or prose or drama, then I'd pick drama every time. Sure. Um, so you could ask yourself the question, why poetry? And it's songs like this that, that lead to the conclusion that because you, poetry can enable you to do more with the words than the words themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and they, Poetry weaponizes language, doesn't it? I'll go one further. Uh, it militarizes language. Mm. Um, it militarizes it in a way that um, an army, because it possesses organization and traditions and discipline um, and method, an army is much more than a, a bunch of blokes with guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Poetry it's, more, it's, more, it's more than the sum of its parts, basically. You know, yes. to, to put it in a, like a really trite way. Um, well, in Skinnerian psychology, I believe that's called a gestalt. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've got one more point, Doc, if you don't mind. No, not at all. Slayer don't usually judge, do they? You know, that the, 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 they lay out facts and they lay out their you know, their kind of perspective of it, but there's no judgment involved. But there is a line here, which which is clearly judgmental. It seems you've lost your way. And that, you know, that, that clearly, surely that's clearly like a judgmental line. I think all of the rest of it, you could, you, I mean, obviously, obviously they're, they're, they're being sardonic and, 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 and critical all the way throughout, but that one, they are directly saying, you've got it wrong. 
Right, are Slayer judgmental? Um, let's think about why they're not, and let's think about what leads them. Uh, so this line here. Um, to the extent that Slayer are practicing Satanists, I'm not sure that Slayer consider themselves to be or are practicing Satanists. Um, I, would, I, would, I would say the, per, the, the percentage chance of Slayer being practicing Satanists is approximately zero. Me too. Yeah. Um, but assuming they are, <laughs> and assuming they're the brand of Satanism that merely tries to invert everything that Christianity does, the last thing those people would want to do is to be seen to be judgmental. Um, of course, if you think about it, proper observant philosophical Christians would also not want to be judgmental because there's a God what does that. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what God does. Yeah. You don't. Mm -hmm. um, can, can it really be that deep? They're, they're, they're kind of inverting the expectation to that, to that kind of, to that depth. We spoke a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about producers, Big Black cropped up very, very briefly in conversation. And the, the, if there is such a thing as a, 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 a consistent philosophy um, across Big Black, it's when they're singing all of these songs about all of these terrible, terrible people. Um, what they want you to understand is, but for one bad thing that happened to you or one bad day at work or one bad influence in your life, that could be you. It, it, it's that concept of there, but there, but for the grace of God, isn't it? That, yeah. that's the principle, basically. Yeah, um, you know um, that child abuser, that murderer, that wife beater. Mm -hmm. um, it's one decision, isn't it? It's, it's like a sliding doors thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's almost like we're going to parade this endless list of vile characters in front of you, um, but you should probably think twice about being judgmental because now we're going to explain how easily that could have been you. Yeah, and how close you are to that, yeah. to that, to that crisis, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think there's something similar in Slayer. Um, it's a very 80s um, post-individual, no, individualistic way of thinking. Um, <clears throat> it's very Reaganist in its own way. If you determine that you are the master of your own fate, um, then you absolutely must accept the consequences of the decisions you make. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, it's, it's, it's very Reagan era. Um, Which is, you know, temporally appropriate. Of course it is. Um, mm -hmm. But whereas Reagan, Reagan and the fundamentalist Christians only wanted to see the sunny side of that. Yeah, you can be anything you want to be. Yeah. If you buy these, you, you can be a star, you can be a basketball star if you buy these trainers. Sure. Um, there's obviously a flip side to that, which is, well, you can end up as evil as you want to be as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, Joseph Mengele started out as someone like your kids. Mm -hmm. Ed Gein started out as someone like your kids. And so did Jeffrey Dahmer. And so did all of these other terrible people. Sure. And, and, and something along the way went wrong. That's right. Yeah. Um, Correct. So um, I... Um, I think this is why Slayer are so reluctant to judge. And compared to the unremitting harshness with which Slayer are known to deal with the words, um, that phrase, you seem to have lost it. It's, it's almost pity. It, it, it comes very, very close to concern. You know, you're, you you're right. Yeah. You've lost your way. Yeah, you, you've lost your way. You know, you, know, try, you know, oh, God, you know, try better, basically. Or, or can I help you in some way? 
Yeah. You know, yeah, you're right. You're quite right, Doc. Doc, listen, we, we, we're on the verge of recording the longest podcast <laughs> that, that mankind has ever seen. So should we move on to our final thoughts? Yes. Welcome to part four. Here we just offer our final thoughts and summations. Um, before we do that, though, some details. Music is by uh, Jeff Hanneman and Kerry King combined. The lyrics, surprisingly, considering how good they are, um, Kerry King by himself, apparently. Although maybe his dad helped him. That's all. <laughs> um, set list. Um, apparently, this was played 469 times, putting it in 19th position overall. First play, um, Lamour. In Brooklyn, New York, October 17th, 1986. Again, Doc. Now, this is the third or fourth time this album. I suspect this is the first gig, um, you know, post-release of the album. That's my supposition. I don't know for sure, but that's my guess. I've never heard of the place. Um, No, I've never heard of it. I did. In In those days... Brooklyn was a ghetto, and compared to Queensboro or somewhere like that, it wasn't even a very popular ghetto. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. It was a, I imagine it was a tiny place where they did some sneak previews to get ready for their tour or to play out for the first time after not having played out for a little while because of sure. being in the studio. Oh, really? So you think this is like a practice gig, effectively? Um, like maybe a, a, a an invite only one or a very very low key local one. Sure, yeah. Last play was uh, the Forum Inglewood. This was November the 30th, 2019. Slayer's last gig ever. So they chose this track to play um, on their last ever gig. In fact, I think they played the whole of Raining Blood, actually. Now, Doc, is it just a coincidence that just four months after the last ever Slayer gig, the whole world fell apart. You tell me, Doc. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, according to Loud, God, Doc, respond, please. Do you think we need Slayer to come and save us now? I think so. I, I think they can eradicate the pandemic. Um, according to Loudwire, a new feature. Here we go. Jesus Saves comes in overall at number eight. Um and this is what they say about it. With Jesus Saves, Slayer unleashed all of their sardonic fury upon Christians who look to religion for the answers and excuses to all earthly problems. On the one hand, songwriters Hanneman and King take blind believers to task for their arrogance in assuming that salvation can be had simply by admitting guilt instead of actually not sinning in the first place. On the other hand, they target the futility of it all with searing lyrics like an invisible man, you place your trust. Musically, the band spend an entire minute wrestling with a series of doomy, ominous riffs before sprinting to the finish behind array of vocals so fast they are almost incomprehensible, thus bringing <laughs> the devastating first half of Raining Blood to a boil as well as to a close. I tell you what, this guy writing for Loudwire, I think he knows his stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, I did. Uh, it's hard to it's, it's hard to review. it's hard to argue with him. I like it a lot. Very yeah, yeah, very very good review. I, I agree with a lot. Go on, the doc. A couple of final thoughts, and then we'll and then and then you can pronounce. Um. So, as we've spoken of at length, um, I'm choosing to see the first the two halves of Rain and Blood, 
the different way in which I'm beginning to look at them is too many albums. Um, because as a, a six track long EP or a six track, very, very, very short album, that side has got a beginning, a middle and an end, doesn't it? It certainly does. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see what happens with side two. Let's sure. see if side two also pans out as a mini album in its own right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, next track certainly the way that it opens is definitely a track that could open an album. For me, this song is a very, very important song in Slayer's back catalogue for the reasons we've already discussed. You know, that like the prosaic nature of the lyrics, mm-hmm. tackling like real world issue, probably being. I mean, it's hard to say, but you know, the, the first kind of certainly well-known or notorious metal band really to to take on the the evangelical christian movement in america head on when of course maiden would do it two or three years later with holy smoke um (laughs) which people laugh at that song i think it's a great song but but again that's my kind of bias based on the subject i guess um here's the thing and i know we're going on and on and on but you you keep bringing up interesting points something that I think slips people's minds, some of the loudest voices of protest against evangelical Christianity were raised by the otherwise completely depoliticized and toothless, like LA hair metal movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when abouts would that have been? I mean, when, when, when were Twisted Sister and Motley Crue and people like that doing their sort of protest songs in, in, in opposition to... It's kind of around this period, isn't it? It's kind of... I think so, yeah. Onwards. Yeah. If I think about Motley Crue, I'm thinking like 86 to 90, maybe. Yeah. That's their kind of prime era. And I mean, so, I mean, we... I, I need to get some... I need to get some figures and some dates on this because um, for as much as I don't want to sort of admit it, in the interest of full disclosure, we need to find out if cutting edge underground metal was actually politically lagging behind LA hair metal at this stage. Mm-hmm. No, imagine. Yeah. Imagine. I mean, there was, the, there was certainly lagging behind in uh, purchasing hair lacquer. <laughs> I, don't so I don't know about anything else. Any last thoughts, Doc, before you give your final verdict? No, that's everything. That's everything. I, I, I think we've said enough, haven't we? My God, we've said enough. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Doc. Pronounce. Oh, I'm going to give it nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Lily swords for the dark. No hesitation. Um, yeah, I understand. I understand. I understand. For me, there is no doubt. It is ten Moe's mouldering schools out of ten. It's a work of genius. The intro, the subject matter, the f- face ripping riffs at the second half of the track. Yeah. Mm. It's 10 out of 10 for me, Doc. No question. Um, Okay, that about does it for this episode. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we'll be discussing the sixth track from Rain in Blood entitled Criminally Insane. And we're going to see you then, Doc. (laughs) See you later. Hail Satanas. Satan. Satan.